Welcome and Happy New Year. You're listening to Lawyer Up. I'm John Gonzalez, along with my law partner, Jack Dorora. We are talking today with Holly Lovey. Holly is a lawyer with Legal Aid Society of Columbus, and we're going to discuss the CDC's moratorium on evictions. Welcome, Holly. Hi, and thank you so much for having me on Lawyer Up. I'm a big fan, and I'm excited to um, have the opportunity to speak with you both today. Holly, Jack and I, um, as attorneys, uh, have um, have been to municipal court and have handled evictions. I've been on both sides of those cases, representing tenants and landlords. And I know that Jack uh, does work in that area, too. The last time I was uh, involved in an eviction case, it was down at the municipal court in Franklin County. How has that process changed in light of the pandemic? So... It's now at a different location. I guess I'll start with the biggest change. Um, Franklin County, I believe in June of this year, uh, moved all eviction and traffic proceedings to the Greater Columbus Convention Center. Um, Eviction proceedings are on the first floor of the convention center. And I believe traffic is on the second floor of the convention center. So, you more often than not will not be going to the municipal court for evictions anymore nowadays. Um, When you arrive, there's, you know, security screening questions and mask requirements just to get to the convention center courtroom. Um, I guess that's the biggest change. Aside from that, you know, we're all kind of living in a difficult time where we're trying to socially distance. And so having the space at the convention center it makes that much easier. Um, As well, since we have additional space, more organizations and support services have been able to come down to eviction court. So previously in the municipal court, there was PRC, which is a JFS program for emergency assistance, um, community mediation services, and TAP, which is the Legal Aid Tenant Advocacy Project, which provides um, representation for tenants in eviction proceedings. Um, Since we've moved to the convention center, we have also added Impact Community Action, which is an organization that provides financial assistance for tenants with with rental assistance, as well as um, CMHA has been able to attend the convention center courthouse quite frequently. The self-help center has a larger presence and its own room now to help tenants proceed pro se or landlords proceed pro se. So it's given us additional space and additional resources for everyone to kind of navigate things. Is the additional space needed because of the pandemic or because of an increase in filing? So there's an increase of the number of people that would be in court or maybe a combination of the two? Um. I would say a combination of the two. I think it was initially moved to the convention center. um, And again, these are decisions made by the court. So I'm speculating at what the internal processes were just based on what's been explained to me. Um, I think initially it was moved to ensure social distancing. You know, the municipal court, it's got just a handful of elevators. Eviction court was on the 11th floor. It's very hard to regulate who comes and goes in those elevators. It's very hard to social distance. 
um, eviction court is in, you know, kind of a, a cattle call style, which is court is scheduled for 9am for everyone. And they just call out into the hallways. So I think it made a lot of sense initially to move it to the convention center to spread out more. Um, the, under the current administrative orders of the court, there are to be no more than 100 evictions scheduled a day. So there is a cap on the number of people. But, you know, with the increased agency presence, the increased um, landlord presence, I think it also benefits to have it at the convention center as well. Holly, we had in place a moratorium that was there, that was put in place, correct me if I'm wrong, by virtue of the Centers for Disease Control. Um, that moratorium is, is still in place, isn't it? Yes. So if you're, um, there was a couple ones, but the most recent one is the CDC moratorium. Um, and that was put into effect in September of 2020. And it initially ran through December 31st of 2020. Um, the new COVID release bill, uh, relief bill that was just passed has extended that to January 31st of 2021. So we've got an extra month on it. Okay. Moratorium. All the lawyers on this podcast know what that means. Explain what that means to human beings out there. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what a moratorium means and what it looks like day to day. So I guess if I can just back up and provide just an overview, I would say that there are three parts to an eviction case. That is the eviction filing, the eviction judgment, and the eviction set out where the, the landlord executes the judgment by physically setting out the belongings. I think most people tend to think of the set out as the eviction itself. Um, and at least in Franklin County, that's what the CDC moratorium is stopping. So landlords are still able to file evictions and they're still able to obtain judgment but if a tenant qualifies for the moratorium and avails themselves of it, then in theory, according to the administrative order, the case should be stayed until the expiration of the CDC moratorium. And uh, I refer to the rest of the world as human beings. I, I think my partner, John, is taking umbrage. He wants to be recognized as a human being, even though he's a <laughs> lawyer. Me, not so much. Uh, execution of the judgment, as we call it, putting people out on the street, that will be stayed, which is lawyers speak for it's stopped. So you can have a judgment against you, but you can't enforce it. You can't actually take that tenant and have that tenant's property put out on the street, correct? That's that, what you mean? If, that's if the tenant properly avails themselves of the CDC moratorium. So, And that raises the question, you sent me the form. I think mm -hmm. it's the CDC form, right? Yes. So there's a form that tenants have to fill out. My first question is, how in the world do tenants learn about this form? Who's telling the, who's telling the world of tenants? Yes, and that's an excellent question. I think that's why tenant representation has been really helpful during this um, pandemic, because it's very difficult to understand and it's very difficult to access those resources. You know, the Columbus Legal Aid website has information. OhioLegalHelp.org has information. The Franklin um, County Municipal Self-Help Center has information, but that's one of the huge issues about this moratorium um, is that unlike the CARES moratorium, it's not automatic. 
it's an opt-in moratorium. So tenants need to avail themselves of the protections of it and prove to the court that they qualify for it. So, you know, go ahead, sorry. Well, no, you're, you're doing fine, but the thought occurs to me. So I'm a tenant. I answer, I respond to the summons. I go to the municipal, excuse me, I go to the convention center for this hearing. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to find some legal assistance there for me. Somebody's going to say, hey, wait a minute, look at this document. Maybe you qualify. That's how I come in contact with that knowledge. Hopefully. So when you walk into the convention center, uh, you go through security and then the first the first uh, station with people at it is the self-help center station. And so um, I think that, you know, they do a great job of helping tenants that visit them. But there is a concern that there's a huge number of tenants that are not consulting with an attorney, don't have access to this sort of information about the CDC moratorium that they have no other, otherwise no way of accessing. So let me ask one more question before I turn it over to my partner. You mentioned the CARES moratorium. Is that one still in effect? And if so, is it any different? Um, no. So the CARES moratorium was instituted by the CARES Act, and it was um, a 120-day pause on um, evictions for non-payment of rent where the landlord had a covered property. And so a covered property is a property that is in some way touched by the federal government, whether that is a project-based subsidy housing for the elderly, a, a voucher tenant, um, or even federally insured loans. So those, that was, um, you know, so it was limited in scope to certain properties, but it prevented even the filing of evictions. So that got at the first step whereas the CDC moratorium prevents the execution of setouts. So that expired at the end of July, um, but that was something that, again, it was automatic. Tenants were not required to opt into it or avail themselves of it. The court uh, issued an administrative order requiring that landlords submit an affidavit saying that uh, the, the landlord was not subject to the CARES Act, and that's why they could proceed with the eviction filing. Absent the affidavit, the clerk was directed not to accept the eviction filing. So it's, it's quite different um, than the previous moratorium. Holly, do you find that most people are unrepresented uh, in the eviction process? I would have to defer to my manager on the statistics, but tenants are overwhelmingly unrepresented, um, you know, and so legal aid, we've been able to increase our capacity. Um, we've added at least four attorneys during the COVID-19 pandemic to our TAP program, which is our day-to-day -day clinic there. Um, that funding is temporary and it does expire. So we've been able to increase services to tenants, but again, you know, we're not able to reach all of them. This week alone, there are 531 evictions scheduled at the convention center. And so there's, there's gonna be a significant portion of tenants that either do not appear, do not have representation, or you know, don't know what to do. So landlords, again, I would defer to my manager on the statistics and I could follow up and circle back with you, but landlords are more often than not represented by an attorney. So there is kind of, also a concern there too, that one party um, is unrepresented and especially with a, a moratorium that is this complicated. It's extremely complicated even for the attorneys that are working with it. 
When you talk about the process, the filing, the judgment, and then the set out, the question I usually get when somebody calls me is that um, they got a notice from their landlord and they're afraid that the landlord's going to show up in the middle of the night and kick them out of their place. Can you take a minute and tell our listeners really what the process is? What What is the first step in an eviction? And then when should people either be getting an attorney or be worried about being set out on the street? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I'm gonna speak to private landlord tenant situations, tenants that have uh, subsidies get are entitled to certain notices that aren't required for private landlord tenant. Um, relationships. So I'll just say generally, the first step to commencing an eviction is to give a three-day notice to a tenant. And that three-day notice has to have statutory language explaining their rights and letting them know that they will be filing if they do not vacate. Um, After that, the landlord has to wait the prescribed amount of time and then they can file an eviction. Um, generally a hearing is scheduled about two weeks from the date of the eviction filing that changes with the holidays. And then again, with the, uh, the limits on the docket, but about two weeks, three weeks, perhaps, um, from the date of filing, a tenant will have their first court date. Sometimes the case gets resolved at that court date, uh, whether that's a dismissal, an agreement or a judgment. Um, and then other times it's continued for a week. Uh, or so for the parties to either get attorneys or to negotiate. Um, But after that, if there is a judgment, you know, pre-pandemic, a tenant could be expected to be set out anywhere from five to 10 days at the date of the judgment. I know that during COVID-19, the the service bailiffs have been, you know, operating set outs on a first come first serve basis. So I can't speak directly to that, but again, any, from the beginning of the period, uh, the three-day notice to the end and the set out, that can be a month long. So it's a pretty quick turnaround time. However, uh, a landlord just can't show up and lock you out or show up and kick your things out. Um, You should receive a red tag on your door um, and then a bailiff, a service bailiff from the court will come and uh, schedule a time and come and supervise the landlord set out of your property. So if, if your landlord is telling you, I will shut off the utilities, I will change the locks, I will just set your things out. All of that is unlawful and tenants should, you know, contact legal aid. A lot of the questions I get are of the practical aspect of it. And, yeah. and some of the advice that I've given to uh, to people is, is that it's probably going to be a good three weeks, if not longer, for your uh, landlord to actually remove you from the property. Obviously, it's an expense to the landlord. Uh, So why not try to work out an agreement that you'll leave on a certain date voluntarily? Do you see that being the resolution oftentimes? And we're going to set aside the whole pandemic and and the loss of jobs right now. Do you see that as as sometimes a reasonable um, resolution? Yes. um, Sometimes it's easier for both the parties to come to an agreement. Uh, I always tell my clients, you know, if you go before the court, the only options that the court has is evicted or not evicted. It doesn't solve these things for you. You know, if if they decide evicted, then that's then on your tenancy record and you're facing a set out in, you know, five to 10 days. If they say not evicted, your landlord might refile. 
So parties are able to do, you know, agreed entries to things that the court can't issue itself. So perhaps an extended move out date, especially during, you know, COVID. Sometimes landlords are willing to work with tenants and say, okay, well, I'll give you a month to leave so that, you know, you can find suitable alternative housing for your family. Other times they're able to reach out an agreement that says, you know, we're going to get emergency rental funding for this amount. You're going to pay the rest of that amount in such and such payment plans. So parties are able to schedule, you know, extended move out so that the landlord and tenant have more control of the situation and are less kind of at the schedule of the court and the bailiffs. How does your um, organization then work as far as being a representative or a lawyer for the tenant? Is there some qualifying um, uh, circumstances that they can get a free lawyer or a reduced fee? Yeah, so um, legal aid, uh, we provide um, free legal services to folks at or below 200% of the poverty line generally. Um, you know, folks, as soon as they get court papers, we encourage them to call legal aid. The sooner that an attorney can take a look at their case, the better. Um, we're able to, you know, give more specific advice, gather documentation, and kind of unpack complicated cases that way. Um, if tenants are not able to call us in advance, there is the TAP program, the Tenant Advocacy Project, and that's set up at eviction court every single day. It's first come, first serve. So depending on the amount of staff they have that day, the docket that day, and the number of volunteers, they'll set a number of cases that they can accept. So if you're not able to get a hold of legal aid in advance, I recommend getting there early, checking in with the bailiff, and then going over to the legal aid table. I've heard threats from landlords about setting people out on the street without going through the court process. I've never seen it happen. Have you? I have seen landlords try. I've had tenants call me afterwards, you know, stating that their landlord threw all of their things in the dumpster. Um, across the board, legal services programs have seen an increase in these sort of self-help evictions, as we would call them, um, just because landlords, for whatever reason, are not using the court process. Um, John touched on the number of evictions little earlier in our discussion, but let's circle back to that. I got to believe the number of evictions has skyrocketed in the last several months. Am I wrong? Am I right about that? So I think that one thing that I definitely want to emphasize is that the Franklin County Municipal Court is up and running when it comes to evictions. Um, it might not be exactly at pace with what it has been in previous years, but like I said, this week alone, there's 531 evictions scheduled. The, you know, the week, I have it written down, uh, the week um, before Thanksgiving, there were 447 evictions scheduled. So it's, it's definitely something that's, that's up and running. Well, up and running and, and up in terms of numbers, though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So there was kind of, um, so when the stay at home orders were first instituted, the court continued all cases, eviction cases out for eight weeks. Now, let, um, let, let's not use lawyer speak. When you say <laughs> continued, that means you just put them on hold for a while, right? Yeah. It rescheduled them for, you know, um, the beginning of June, which is when it moved to the, to the convention center, um, and so there was kind of a, a lower number of filings than with the CARES Act, you know, landlords being prohibited from filing if they 
fell under the CARES Act, that lowered the number. So like I said, we're not necessarily at pace with where we would be in an ordinary year, hmm. uh, but Franklin County is definitely continuing full steam ahead. I know that, uh, for example, I believe Dayton has paused evictions. I know that in, in Cleveland, I think that they are their default is Zoom hearings, but Franklin County, we're, we're still in-person cattle call hundreds of people a week. I saw a, uh, an article um, just this, uh, I think it was December 24th, I pulled it up on my screen, that talked about safety concerns for the transmission of, of COVID-19 down at the, uh, at the uh, uh, center. Um, do you have those concerns personally and do you see any improvement there? Because according to this article, they were calling on um, our Supreme Court Chief Justice to put another uh, uh, lawyer word stay on, uh, on in-person uh, meetings like this. Yeah, and so, you know, I know that the Franklin County Municipal Court has consulted with Columbus Public Health and that they have moved evictions to the convention center for safety, but I don't feel safe. You know, it's, it's large, large crowds of people. Mask compliance is very spotty. It's a very emotional process. It, it's just hard to get around. So, um, Personally, it's always a concern for me, safety-wise. I, I worry about my my colleagues, the tenants, the other attorneys, the landlords. It's it's tough. You know, it's kind of this is the world we're living in right now. We all bear some form of risk when we go out in public, but this is something that it's definitely a concern. Safety is always a concern. Taking that a little bit further, um, when you represent somebody, a tenant in a situation like this, is it just for that eviction hearing or are you out able to file counterclaims? Are you able to handle other aspects of the case? Because I know sometimes there's damages and things like that that, that tenants are um, you know, being sued for. Yeah. And so, you know, the extent of our assistance is always determined on a case by case basis. Right now, our priority is keeping folks housed. And so that perhaps means taking first causes only for a lot of cases, which is lawyer speak for the uh, possession claims. So landlords sometimes file a lawsuit requesting money damages as well as possession. The possession portion is what we would think of as the eviction portion. So sometimes uh, our practice is limited to just that eviction possession portion because our goal is again, right now we're triaging our resources to try and just keep people housed. There are certain cases in which we can take counterclaims uh, or will file counterclaims, um, some other sorts of cases, conditions, issues that we might get involved, but that's all a case-by-case -case basis. Like I said, right now we're just triaging to try and keep folks housed. Let me ask a maybe a more difficult question. In comparison to how things were before the pandemic, do you have a different feel for the level, uh, a different feel for how things are going on in the convention center and what I'm getting to, is there a little more anxiety, a little more emotion, a little more stress? Um, absolutely. You know, for an eviction, this is a person's home. This is a person's family. This is a person's life. This is always an emotional process, and it's always tough. People are always very anxious. Um, 
that's just even more so now during COVID because, you know, there are additional stressors of health issues. Um, there are additional stressors of unemployment, of doubling up with family members, and then the huge issue of where do I go? And, you know, a homeless shelter, it, it seems like a congregate living space right now seems kind of like an unsafe to be, unsafe place to be, especially if you have pre-existing health conditions. So not only are we seeing the, the usual sorts of stress and anxiety, um, but also that concern of where do I go? You know, a landlord won't want to rent to me if I have a pending eviction or a recent eviction. Landlords aren't showing properties because of COVID. You know, all these sorts of issues compounding to what am I going to do? So I would say that there's definitely increased concern. I want to go. I want to go back to your comment about not feeling safe, which I understand and respect. But we have to thank whoever it was in municipal court who decided to move the show to the convention center because if you're feeling unsafe there, the process would have been intolerable within municipal court, which is, I don't know, 25% of the size. Yes. Yeah. Municipal court was already cramped. It was already, the elevators were already always full, overflowing, um, I'm so, so grateful. It's so much better at the convention center than it ever would have been at municipal court. So that, that ended up being extremely helpful. Fortunately, based on the most recent administrative order, eviction court will be taking place in the convention center through at least March 31st. So, um, you know, as the funding has been provided, the municipal court has continued to push that date out. And so fortunately, um, we have at least through the end of March at the convention center. Holly, not to diminish the effect that evictions have on the tenants. Uh, the other side of the, the coin here are the um, landlords, and a lot of them are small, uh, you know, businesses or essentially not even a small business, just a sole proprietor person that rents out a, a unit or two, and they have to pay their bills too, and they have financial consequences if their tenants aren't, aren't paying. You don't represent landlords at all, is that correct? No, I don't. What What have you, if you can tell us, though, have you heard about their concerns? And I would imagine that there's some, uh, uh, that some help can be given to the tenants if the landlords can get some help. Yeah. And so, you know, as you've identified, I exclusively represent tenants. So, you know, my conversations with landlords about these issues are are quite limited, but, you know, there is an understanding that landlords do need the rent. You know, landlords are also struggling as well. And fortunately, the CARES Act provided for um, emergency rental assistance. Here, Impact Community Action has been the organization that's been funneling all of those CARES dollars. Um, and then the recent COVID relief package um, included, again, $25 billion for rental assistance. Obviously, that's to be distributed across the country. But, you know, having those dollars has been uh, a huge help to help the parties reach a resolution. Um, Impact has been able to give uh, landlords that, you know, I've represented, uh, ten has been able to give tenants um a great deal of rental assistance. So even in the cases that I've had, 
Impact has been willing to pay several thousands of dollars to landlords. And so, you know, both the tenant and the landlord are required to submit certain documentation, but that's all, it's all intuitive documentation. So a copy of a lease, a copy of a ledger, um, those sorts of things. But yeah, Impact has been a huge help to help get landlords the money that tenants are currently unable to pay. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that impact is at the courthouse and that JFS is at the courthouse because PRC funding is also available. And so that's been a huge help to try and to try and help landlords and tenants who are both struggling through this. You said JFS, which I imagine is jobs and family services. Yes. Yes. So they, they primarily implement the PRC program there, which is one time emergency rental assistance. They have some requirements um, as far as household size and that sort of thing, but they're also at the convention center and can do funding in conjunction with impact sometimes as well. So if I'm a landlord, I file suit, I head down to the convention center for my hearing, I'm going to find people from either the joint uh, jobs and family services, this impact community action, there'll be some place where I can apply right then and there for the rent that I'm not getting so long as I qualified for the program? Yeah, so in, in that instance, the tenant would be the one to apply mm -hmm. and they supply all of the landlord contact information or if the landlord's physically there that day, sometimes the landlord can just supply it on their own to impact um, or JFS and then they can approve it sometimes same day. Like, Obviously, it takes some time to process the checks, but they can, you know, I've had tenants be approved the same day and then sent for check processing. Holly indicated that a lot of the tenants aren't represented, or at least not until they get, get down to um, the convention center. Uh, do you find that the, the, the um, landlords are usually unrepresented or are they fairly sophisticated or do they have their own lawyers there? there's a robust presence of landlords attorneys at the courthouse. I have to imagine that that helps one in negotiating and two, and just somebody else that understands the uh, resources available to the parties. Am, am I correct in that assumption? Yes. Yeah. It's always, it's always helpful, especially in emotionally charged cases when both parties are represented, attorneys can quickly, you know, negotiate, um, identify any, you know, defenses or claims they may have, and then figure out a way to solve the problem. So I think it's, you know, when parties are both represented, it makes things much easier, not only because the CDC moratorium is so, so complicated and kind of difficult to navigate, but because um, attorneys are just able to kind of take that emotional piece out of it as well. Well, listen, um, Holly, thank you so much for the information and you, you uh, presented it in a very non-lawyer speak way and we appreciate that and I know our listeners do too. And thank you for the hard work you do on behalf of uh, tenants. Um, it, it's certainly at this time, if, if, if not in all the time that you've been an attorney, very important work. And so uh, I certainly appreciate what you do. Well, thank you so much for having me. I enjoy your podcast and I really appreciate you know, you giving me the opportunity to share a little bit about what tenants are experiencing right now um, during COVID. It was good to have you, Holly. Uh, like John, I appreciate what Legal Aid does and what its hardworking lawyers like you do. Well, if there's space, I will plug um, that. And, you know, I'll let your editor 
figured this out, but Legal Aid is still accepting volunteers. Uh, we quickly pivoted all of our in-person brief advice clinics to virtual clinics, and we do accept volunteers down at the courthouse if, or the convention center if folks are feeling comfortable. Um, we are always willing to have private attorney volunteers, and I do appreciate the volunteer work that both of you have done. Oh, thank you for saying that. You can find uh, Lawyer Up Columbus at our website, and you can also download us on your favorite podcast app on your phone. Next month, we'll have with us civil rights attorney Fred Giddis. Until then, remember to lawyer up so long.